Good morning, everybody. Welcome into To The Point. Hope you're all doing well. We have lots to dive into today. It is almost Thanksgiving in the United States. We have a massive slate of games in the NHL tonight after an off night. Then we got NFL tomorrow. It's a, it's a big couple days in sports because Black Friday teams play afternoon games in the United States. So it's it's a good sports day. It's a good sports week. And we're going to talk about it all today. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the College Football Rankings Committee, what they did last night. We'll dive into that. Going to get into a firing with the Pittsburgh Steelers that I predicted on Monday that came true yesterday. Going to talk about the NHL and the Edmonton Oilers and what's happening with that group. Just disaster for them. Another loss on Monday to a good Florida team, but they couldn't get they have they have a lot of problems. They're in Carolina tonight playing a good team. But we're gonna preview a lot of games, some good games on tap tonight. Vegas, Dallas, Vancouver, Colorado. So we'll talk about them in just a little bit. But we're gonna start today's program with the Super Bowl rematch on Monday Night Football. Philadelphia. In Kansas City. If you listen to Monday's podcast, you know I predicted that the Eagles would cover the number, plus two and a half, which they did. I thought the Eagles would actually win the game, which they did. And it was another game that it felt big, it had all the stakes. Two teams are in the Super Bowl last year. Two teams with great records. But I can't say it was a great football game. I can't say either quarterback played particularly well. But in the clutch moments, Jalen Hurts, who is clearly injured to me, came through. Hitting Devontae Smith over the middle, then hitting Devontae Smith down the down the sideline for a massive gain, getting tackled at the one for the tush push to go in for Jalen Hurts' second rushing touchdown of the day. If you look at the box score, A.J. Brown was hardly a factor. The Eagles' Jalen Hurts had only 55 passing yards at the end of the third quarter. They're horrible on third down. You think there's no way the Eagles are going to win this game. They had no business being in the game for large for large portions of it. But a strong running attack led by that offensive line. And perseverance from their quarterback in the clutch moments led them to a big victory on the road in Kansas City. A lot happened. I'm going to start with the Kansas City point of view. Mahomes throws an interception in the end zone, which I thought was more of a great play, more than it was a bad interception. Kevin Byard, who they got from the Tennessee Titans at the trade deadline, makes a huge play. Great read on the football, great athleticism, just reading the play. 
So could have Mahomes made a, a better decision? Sure. But I thought that Bayard made a hell of a play. Six minutes to go. Travis Kelsey, who was hardly in the game. Andy Reid was yelling at him for most of it. The ESPN cameras were going to Donna Kelsey or the Swift family the whole entire game, much to my chagrin. He's having another lifeless performance like he did against the Dolphins in Frankfurt. He gets a pass, catches it in the red zone, and Bradley Roby comes out and punches the ball out. Force fumble, which ultimately led the Eagles to go on the touchdown drive that put them ahead, and they never look back. Talked about Jalen Hurts not being 100%. I don't know what's happening with Travis Kelsey. He doesn't look like the guy that was an all-pro last year. Doesn't have that same jump. Doesn't have that same spark. He's been discussing lately. He doesn't know how much longer he's going to play. He's 34. A lot of bumps and bruises. He's going to be a big media star, whether he's with Taylor Swift or not. He has one of, has the most popular sports podcast in the world. But is he is he hurt? Is he distracted? Flying to Argentina on a bye week to get a kiss from Taylor Swift. Good for him. All I know is he's not playing well. It really doesn't matter what, you know, there will be other people in the media that will say, oh, it's Taylor Swift and he's too focused on this. I just think, hey, he's not playing that well and he, maybe he's hurt, but when you're on the field, Shannon Sharp always said this, when you're on the field, you're 100%. doesn't matter if you're not. You chose to play. So you, you judge that person accordingly. In his last three games, he doesn't have 100 yards receiving combined in those three games. And that might not have mattered when Kansas City had Cheetah at wide receiver. When they had better options. But Kansas City is relying on Rasheed Rice, who I think is their best receiver. Kadarius Toney, who's being used more of a number two running back than anything else. Noah Gray, a backup tight end. And Justin Watson, a guy they want to be a great receiver, or the guy who has to be a great receiver on this team because they have nobody else, who had at least three drops himself on Monday night. And, of course, there's Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who dropped a touchdown late in the game from Patrick Mahomes, which would have gave Kansas City the win. Kansas City's offense is the problem and has been since week one. It's gotten better, you could argue, but again, they're 7-3. and three. They lost to the Broncos. You lose to the Lions, and you lose to the Philadelphia Eagles, two of those games at Arrowhead Stadium. With the loss, you dropped to second in the AFC behind the Baltimore Ravens. You still have some tough games on your schedule. The Kansas City defense can beat anybody. 
Chris Jones was a madman on Monday night. I thought Trent McDuffie, the corner for Kansas City, was the best player on either team. He made so many big plays, blowing up tackles, Eagles trying to throw screen passes that were going absolutely nowhere. He was a menace and all over the field. Kansas City locked up A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown was losing it on the sideline because him and Jalen couldn't complete a pass. They gave up 21 points to an Eagles team who have the best record in the NFL. That's pretty damn good. Held Jalen Hurts to a 64.6 quarterback rating. Kept him to 2.4 yards a carry. A.J. Brown, one catch for eight yards. That tells me their defense played pretty well. And yet, they lose the game. When you're done week 11, there's no trade deadline. There's no help coming. There's scrap heap players. Could the Chiefs sign a Jarvis Landry? Sure. Or make a call like the Eagles did to bring in an older guy like a Julio Jones that maybe could get some snaps? Sure. But your team is your team, and your best players have to be your best players. Unfortunately for Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't have great wide receiver talent. He's got a wonderful running back in Isaiah Pacheco, who they need to use more in the pass game, and Jarek McKinnon, for that matter. But I still believe Kansas City is a very good team. They have the best player in the NFL. But quite simply, they need wide receivers to catch the ball. They need them to separate a little bit more and make the plays. Because they're there. Mahomes played fine on Monday night. Was it his best game? No, but it definitely wasn't his worst game. The Chiefs should have won that game 9 out of 10 times. And in that one time, they lost it. Because Justin Watson couldn't catch, and Marquez Valdez Scantling couldn't catch, and it just continued to pile on for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's revisionist history to look at. I've seen this argument made online that, oh, Kansas City should have never let let Tyreek Hill go. That's a stupid argument to me because this is Tyreek Hill's second season in Miami, not his first one. So in his first season in Miami, Kansas City won the Super Bowl while Tyreek Hill was playing in a wildcard game and going home with the Dolphins. So Kansas City won a Super Bowl without the All-Pro, without one of the best wide receivers of all time. So that's not the argument. But Juju Smith-Schuster gave everything he had to the Kansas City Chiefs. He was better than even he probably expected himself to be in Kansas City. He left everything on the field. He was spectacular in the Super Bowl game, having close to 100 yards receiving. He caught a touchdown in that game. But since going to New England 
he has been a complete, just a non-factor. He had injury problems before. And this is the cruel thing about the NFL. He's only 27, Juju Smith-Schuster. And yet, he looks done. This season, he has 22 catches for 149 yards and a touchdown in eight games. Not available. When he is available, nothing's happening. He's not making any big plays. Kansas City can look back and say, maybe Jacoby Myers was the guy we should have targeted. Could we have made a play for Devontae Adams via trade? But they look at their situation and say, we needed money to re-sign Mahomes. We needed money to get Chris Jones back. We needed money to booster our offensive line to keep this team competitive so we can compete for a Super Bowl year after year. Mahomes is handling this better than any quarterback would. He blamed himself for the Valdez-Scantling drop. He said, I could have threw it a little shorter. Straight in the bread basket and he dropped the football. But he's not take he's putting the blame on himself and not throwing it on the team. I still believe Kansas City is a better team top to bottom than the Miami Dolphins, who they beat. I still believe Kansas City is a better team top to bottom than the Jacksonville Jaguars, who they also have beat this year. But if I'm Jacksonville, if I'm Miami, my only goal down the stretch is to get home field. The Dolphins are 18-2 and in their last 20 home games. They play phenomenal at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. That's your goal. That's what you need to accomplish. Do not go to Arrowhead because they will not win that game. They're not winning a road playoff game at Arrowhead. Tua and those players. This isn't happening. They couldn't beat them in Frankfurt. So it ain't happening in Arrowhead. But at 7-3, and three, you have the same record as the Chiefs. You both have played 10 games, and you control your destiny down the stretch. Can you finish ahead of them in the standings? Continue to beat up on these bad teams. You have the Jets on a Friday. Then you play the Washington football team and the Tennessee Titans on Monday night. All teams who have losing records have to be three wins. Has to be. For Jacksonville, you have your toughest game coming up, going to Houston this coming weekend. It's no guarantee win. Houston's playing well. You then play the Bengals at home without Joe Burrow. Then go to Cleveland, where Cleveland has a the best defense in the NFL. But you're playing a third-string quarterback. They also have the Ravens in there. But beyond that game, you don't play a playoff team. So 
So you can make the argument Jacksonville and Miami have easier schedules down the stretch than the Kansas City Chiefs. Still have to play the Bengals. I believe they play the Raiders twice. The Raiders aren't great, but they're competitive. I'll give them that. Raiders go to Green Bay, host the Bills at the Patriots, host the Raiders, host the Bengals at the Chargers. Quite simply, Kansas City just needs to catch the ball because I think they'll be fine. I don't know if they're going to get to another Super Bowl this year. I didn't pick them to do it before the year. I picked the Bengals, but that's going to be wrong because Joe Burrow is out for the season with his uh, wrist torn wrist ligament. So to me, it opens it up because I, I believe the Bengals are going to make the playoffs, and if the Bengals can get in, they can go. It doesn't matter. They can be a road team the entire way. I've seen them do it. Joe Burrow thrives in the big moments. But Joe Burrow, a big quarterback, out that's a piece gone from the chessboard. Who from the AFC will get there? I talked yesterday on Monday about the NFC where the Eagles are great. The Lions are very good. San Francisco, who have been to three straight NFC championship games, are still a fantastic team. And I think the Cowboys are right there. It's going to be one of those four teams representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. If it isn't one of those four, I will be stunned. For the season, I said Philadelphia. I'll stick with that. I picked Philly to win the Super Bowl before the season started. And after 11 weeks, they do have the best record. Now, they have their problems. We'll get to them in a minute. But what I would say for Kansas City, it's doom and gloom because you lose this game and you have a 7-3 and three record. And you're right there with the rest of your conference, which is not where you want to be. And Patrick Mahomes has not played a road playoff game in his career, which is staggering. Because they have been that consistent and that good to get home field advantage and have the entire postseason go through Arrowhead. Your, your competition are good, not great, just like you. Baltimore doesn't have their best receiving threat. Mark Andrews is done for the season. Joe Burrow's done. Cleveland doesn't have a quarterback. Miami, Miami's very good, and they're getting better. And Tyreek has 200 more receiving yards than any other wide receiver in the league, and Tua's played very well. But they still, you know, they still have their problems. They can't really score in the red zone lately. They go through their stuff. Jacksonville, a good club, but are Houston on their level? We'll see this coming weekend. So I don't think Kansas City should panic. Those guys internally have to make plays. They have to show up for their quarterback and play. I'm not 100% confident that Kansas City will get back to the Super Bowl, but I'm not ruling it out. Because despite the fact that their team is not perfect, the teams around them aren't either. Jacksonville has their warts. Miami has their warts. 
And it's just going to be who can find the momentum to get to the Super Bowl in this conference. Because it's full of teams that are just average. That are good, not great. But, I mean, you're watching Kansas City. Chris Jones looks better than ever. He's dominating Lane Johnson. Who's as good as it gets at right tackle. Offensive line creating huge holes in the running game. They can do this, and it might be their defense that propels them to that big achievement, that gets them over the hump, that makes them get back to the Super Bowl as the AFC representative. Because it is their strongest unit right now, and it ain't close. Looking at the Philadelphia point of view, they just find ways to win games. And I applaud them for it. It was more important for Philly to win on Monday night than Kansas City. And I talked about this. Philly has a tougher schedule down the stretch. Philly only has a game lead over the Detroit Lions for that top spot in the NFC to get home field advantage. They have the Bills this weekend. They still have to play the Cowboys. They still have to play the 49ers. So they have tough opponents upcoming. You watch the game and you know, Jalen Hurts didn't play very well. True. You watch the game and go, A.J. Brown is going to kill somebody by the end of the year, although he's second in the NFL in receiving yards. But one catch for eight yards the entire game, he's going to lose it. You see their defense, teams run over them, their secondaries and all that good. Well, it was fine the other day. They have their problems. They're without a lot of people, too. N'Kobe Dean is, is done for a while. They're missing pass rushers. But they find ways to win. Jalen Hurts makes a big throw to Devontae Smith. When he had to make a throw, he did. When they had to use the tush push, they did. Philadelphia is a different team when Dallas Goddard's on the field, when they can get A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard all out there, and he did not play on Monday. And he will likely not play this weekend against the Bills. But they kept themselves in the game. Hassan Reddick has 28 sacks in his last 28 games, which is incredible. He's always around the quarterback. He's always making plays. Jordan Davis out of Georgia is starting to blossom, starting to make plays. Sophomore season, playing really good football. Darius Slay had a rough night, but then Bayard helps him out and recovers. You watch the entire game of the Eagles and go, how did they win this? <laughs> You make the argument they should have lost to the Cowboys in the, in the game a couple weeks ago. Their only loss this season is to the New York Jets with Zach Wilson at quarterback. This team should be undefeated. But they're consistent under Nick Sirianni. 
After 10 games last season, they were 9 and 1. After 10 games this season, they are 9 and 1. They win big games. They find a way. They battle through. Jalen Hurts is an ultimate warrior. Plays through pain. Find ways to dig himself out of it. They just they do it. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith is as good as it gets as a wide receiver tandem in the NFL. Because they both do different things. They're both massive, huge parts of the team. And A.J. Brown didn't have a good day, but Devontae Smith did. A.J. Brown changed the team last season. And like I said, he's second in, he's tied for second in receiving yards in the NFL this year with C.D. Lamb. So he hasn't been horrible. Just hasn't just didn't have a game that he was happy. One one reception for eight yards is not enough for a player of his caliber. No doubt about it. For the Eagles, I would say just more consistency from Jalen Hurts. I don't want to see so many design runs on third and sevens and third and eights. That play drives me nuts watching the Eagles. I don't understand it. It doesn't work. And if Jalen's banged up and he looks slow running, why are you calling it? Start the games going to A.J. Brown to get him going. And Swift can run the football. Your offensive line can create holes. Continue to do it. If you see a weakness in their defense, attack it and don't divert from it. That's something I think teams do too often is go, oh, well, we see the weakness in the defense. We're going to let them off the hook. No. Hammer it down their throat. If they can't stop the run, keep running the football. Don't try to do something else when they don't know how to stop you. That's not the name of the game. I do think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. Detroit's very good. But the Eagles are slightly better to me. I like the quarterback more. They just have they were in the Super Bowl last year. They know what it takes. And they find ways to win games. They have the opportunity, like Kansas City, to get better as the season goes on. Despite the fact that you're 9-1. To be more impressive, to finish games earlier. To hopefully get that bye so that your players can rest up. 35-year-old Lane Johnson. 36-year-old Travis Ke- uh, Jason Kelsey. A banged-up Jalen Hurts. Dallas Goddard, who's missed time this season. Plus, you have to go through Lincoln Financial to get to the Super Bowl. That's not fun. It was a Super Bowl rematch that people probably watch and go, that wasn't that entertaining of a game. It wasn't what you expected. It didn't have fireworks. But it was a battle with mistakes. And Philadelphia came out on top on the road.
which was a massive victory for them. Both teams are still very good. Both teams have things to figure out. But leaving the game, what I'll say is, I, to me, Philadelphia is the best team in their conference. I cannot say the same thing for the Kansas City Chiefs. To me, Baltimore is slightly better than Kansas City right now. Their offense is more set. They have more together, even without Mark Andrews, with OBJ and Rashad Bateman and Zay Flowers and Isaiah Likely. Baltimore has more cohesion. They have more, they're just together more than the others. And that puts them ahead of the game. Baltimore's also 8-3. and three. They haven't had their bye week yet. I believe it's next week after they played the Chargers this Sunday night. So they've been playing nonstop this season without having a break. Which I like having the late bye week, which I think helps Baltimore. But a fun game between two really good teams, two excellent quarterbacks. And I kind of talked about this on Monday. Jalen Hurts was the leading, was the front runner for the MVP on FanDuel Sportsbook at plus 400. He won the game. To me, Tyreek Hill should be the leading. Tyreek Hill Miles Garrett should be the co-betting favors for the MVP ahead of any quarterback. It's normally a quarterback award, but when nobody is deserving of the award that plays the quarterback position, by proxy, it has to go to somebody else. There are so many weeks left, so many opportunities for players to jump up, to assert themselves into the conversation. But through 11 weeks, and you can only judge 11 weeks, no quarterback deserves to win the award. Jalen Hurts, no, despite the fact that his team's 9-1. and one. Jared Goff, no, for the Detroit Lions. C.J. Stroud, He's been very good for the Houston Texans. But they're not even leading their own division. Rookie of the year, sure. Win the division in the AFC South, you're in the conversation. Tua's been very good, but I think Tyreek Hill has been more valuable to Tua than Tyreek has been uh, than Tua's been to Tyreek. Miles Garrett has the Cleveland Browns at 7-3 with shitty Deshaun Watson play, DTR, P.J. Walker. He has single-handedly put that team in the conversation to win the AFC North. He's a menace. He leads the NFL in sacks. He leads the NFL in pressures. Dak Prescott, if he can continue to play the way he's playing, he will be in the conversation. Because quietly playing bad teams, the Cowboys have dominated them, and he's had some very good numbers in those games. But you can only play who's on your schedule, and if you, don't, if you have bad teams on your schedule, dominate them and have a lot of good statistics, you'll be put in the, the pot 
But Jalen Hurts or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, my God, in their conversation for the MVP? Stupidity through 11 weeks. Nobody deserves it. Tyreek Hill or Miles Garrett? Two guys. And I'll put TJ Watt over any quarterback as well. More valuable. They've been the most valuable player to the respective team. TJ Watt's been dealing with crap all season long. Getting outgained in every performance. And I talked on Monday about hot seats, coaches that I thought were locks to get fired potentially after the season. And I brought up that Steelers offensive coordinator who I thought had the potential to be fired this week because of how the way the game went on Sunday. And yesterday, the Steelers pulled the trigger. Offensive coordinator Matt Canada was fired by the team. It was the first in-season firing by the Pittsburgh Steelers since 1941. Which is staggering to even hear that. Teams fire coaches in-season anytime like it's going out of style. 1941. But the Steelers' offense has been dreadful. Kenny Pickett has not looked like a NFL quarterback. George Pickens, with all his athleticism, has been not has not been getting the ball. No completions. Bad play call. Just it's been a disaster in Pittsburgh. And the Steelers, the Steelers brass, clearly thought, well, our team looks dreadful out there. We just lost to a Cleveland team with a third stringer. We're six and four. How are we six and four with this offense? We need to make a change. They also need to keep the locker room to keep the faith. Nobody's going to give up on Mike Tomlin. But you needed some hope. You needed something to boost the morale in that building. This was the correct decision. I'm sure Pittsburgh did not want to do it. They like having coaches. They don't like firing people, having headlines. When your offense is just that lethargic, when you don't have anything going, sometimes you just have to make that decision for the betterment of the team. The Steelers are as good as it gets when it comes to organizations, how they handle business. They have the coach that you'd want to play for more than anybody in Mike Tomlin. But for whatever reason, it's been a team that's been competitive adjacent. You have a close to it, you have a 500 record, you're in the mix for the postseason. But nobody is ever threatened by you because you can't do anything offensively. They then decided to draft Kenny Pickett out of University of Pitt. He's been a mixed bag since coming into the NFL, having some concussion issues, having some plays that you don't exactly like. And what I think this is, 
It's an eight-game audition for Kenny Pickett to remain the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2024. Because to me, he has not done enough to prove to anybody that he should be their guy moving forward. He's got some athleticism. He's got some moxie. But to me, he doesn't have the guts to throw the ball down the field. He has great wide receivers, but he doesn't use them. Fryermuth now back healthy, is an awesome tight end who can make big catches over the middle. You have talent that teams would kill for. Kansas City would do anything to have any of those wide receivers. Give George Pickens to Patrick Mahomes, and he'll be having a field day. But a new offensive coordinator, a new voice, a new system, a rebirth for the Steelers on Thanksgiving. Six and four. You have a good chance to make the playoffs. You have a good chance to compete. You still have an opportunity to win your own division. Go play the Ravens. See what happens. They're great, the the Baltimore Ravens. The Steelers are no slouch. At the Bengals, host the Cardinals, host the Patriots, at the Colts, host the Bengals, at the Seahawks, at the Ravens. It's a pretty damn good schedule. You get to play the Bengals twice without Joe Burrow. Catch a break. Get the Colts in there. At Seattle. That's tough late in the season. But you finish at Baltimore. I I would take that schedule. With teams in the AFC and the way it's been going, Pittsburgh should be a playoff team. Wouldn't stun me if we see three playoff teams from the AFC North. Cleveland, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh all get in. Cincinnati's a cross-off for me because I don't trust Jake Browning and what they're going to do. Not having Joe Burrow is cataclysmic, and it ruins your season. Maybe Browning would be better, but I've seen him play a few times, and it's just it's not there for me. But you want to see this team just have something, have a spark, have some plays. Don't throw a screen pass with three guys in front of you with no blockers, which happened about four times last week against the Cleveland Browns. They have the talent. They just need to find a way to put it together. Pair the quarterbacks with the wide receiver and see what happens. Use more of Kenny Pickett run pass option. I would like to see that. He has athleticism. He ran in college. They created a new play in college that you can't fake slide. He did it in a bowl game and he scored a touchdown doing it. Now you can't do it. The Kenny Pickett rule. So he can use his legs. Let him. Jalen Warren is your best running back, not Najee Harris. Let Jalen Warren carry the ball more than nine fucking times a game. Nine carries, 111 yards. Pretty damn good production. Put the ball in his hands. 
Well, Najee Harris was a first-round draft pick. I don't care. Who's going to give you the best chance to win? Jalen Warren. The little back who didn't get taken the first round of Oklahoma State. Put the ball in his hands. Simple things. And it can be changed. And I credit the Steelers for doing what they normally don't. Making a change in season and having headline about them. But Sunday, there was only one game between two teams with winning records in the NFL. And that was Steelers-Browns. And it was an awful game. 13-10. You could argue great defense. I would just argue more that it was awful offense. No creative plays. Quarterbacks taking bad sacks. Stupid idea throwing the football there. Bad play calling. Steelers get to test out their new offense on Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals. So we'll see how that goes for them. Before we get off football and pivot to hockey, I want to talk about the college football playoff a little bit here. The committee released their rankings last night, which they do every Tuesday until the end of the season. New rankings, Georgia stayed at number one. Not all that surprising. They beat a ranked team in Tennessee, destroyed them 37-10. to 10. They've won 28 straight games. They are the best team in the country. They get a cupcake game this weekend against Georgia Tech. They'll play Alabama next weekend, the SEC championship game, but I agree with that. Number two, the Ohio State. Ohio State's last really tight game was against Notre Dame. But they went to South Bend and they won it. Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the best player in college football. Kyle McCord's playing better. Their defense looks good. Ohio State 2, Michigan 3. They play each other this weekend in what people are calling the game. It's the biggest game of the year. It's in Michigan. It's at the big house. To me, Michigan's a better team than Ohio State. But Ohio State's had a tougher season. They've had to play better teams. Michigan's had one tough game in Penn State thus far, period. They had a a tough go with Maryland, who Maryland had a a great start, but they've teetered. So Ohio State to Michigan, that's fine. It'll be decided this weekend, and I think Michigan's going to win that game. We'll talk about them more later in the week. Number four, this was the change. Washington gets into the rankings for the first time this season. This past weekend, Washington went into Corvallis, played Oregon State, and got the victory. Michael Penix Jr. the third, Roman Odunze were phenomenal. They beat another ranked team. They had a win against Oregon, which is to me is the most impressive win of any team this season, including Texas over Alabama in Alabama. Because I think Oregon's better than Alabama, and I think Oregon's better than Texas. So there you go. 
But Washington wins against Oregon, wins against Oregon State. They jump Florida State in the rankings. Florida State, like Washington, is all undefeated. These first five teams in the rankings are undefeated, but Florida State, their most impressive win was week one against LSU. Since then, they've beaten Miami, and they've beaten some ACC schools. They had a tough game against Boston College where they almost lost. I thought they should have been fifth behind Washington for a number of weeks now. This was a long time coming for me. I didn't understand why it took this long, but it did. And now Washington's four, Florida State is five. The other intriguing angle here is Florida State. Their fifth year senior quarterback, Jordan Travis, suffered a gruesome leg injury on Saturday. Don't go and watch the video. It's pretty disgusting. His leg goes in a completely opposite direction. He's done for the season. His college career is over at Florida State. So now Florida State is a backup quarterback. They finished their season playing the Florida Gators this weekend on the road. Then they'll play Louisville in the ACC championship game. If Florida State can win their last two games with a backup backup quarterback and rotomaker, they will be in the college football playoff despite the fact that they don't have a starting quarterback because you're undefeated. Michigan or Ohio State are going to lose this weekend, meaning they will drop out. They will have one loss on their schedule. There's also the potential that Washington, who plays Washington State this weekend, Oregon with one loss, who's number six, plays Oregon State in a tough game. Oregon lost that game last year. I believe they'll win it this year because they're a better football team. But Washington could beat Washington State, then play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game and lose it, which would mean that Georgia undefeated, let's say Michigan undefeated, Florida State would be undefeated, they'd still get in. So I think they have a lot of outs. They just need to win their final two games of the season, and they will be in the college football playoff regardless. But this was the correct rankings. Washington should have jumped Florida State. They're a better team. They've had more impressive victories. Going on the road, winning and in Oregon State, that's a tough place. It's as good as it gets. Penix had a real Heisman moment for me in that game. The way some of those passes to Roman Odunze down the sideline in the clutch moments. We got college games starting. Technically, Mississippi and Ole Miss play tomorrow, so we'll talk about that on tomorrow's pod when we preview the other games. Looking at the Heisman currently, Jaden Daniels, quarterback at LSU, is the betting favorite at minus 110. So you're not going to be getting any money betting on him. He's had a phenomenal season. More touchdowns than anybody in the country. 
but he's on an LSU team that's not going to be playing in a championship game, will not be playing in the college football playoff, is hardly ranked. What he's done has been nothing short of phenomenal. Second is Bo Nix at plus 125, who's had great numbers, had six touchdowns and a half against Arizona State. Yeah, Michael Penix Jr. at plus six plus six fifty, and that's when the numbers drop. Marvin Harrison Jr. plus six thousand, Carson Beck plus eight thousand, JJ McCarthy plus twenty five thousand. It's for sure one of the four guys, unless something fantastic happens. If Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ohio State win this weekend, and he plays phenomenal, he plays out of his mind. Over 150 yards, two, three touchdowns. He's back in the conversation. Absolutely. With that that type of performance on the road in Michigan, that would be worthy of it. There's still lots to be decided. It's funny because there are games this weekend that are more important than the See, the Big Ten championship game. Michigan or Ohio State are going to play Iowa, and they're going to win that game easily. It won't be a competitive, it won't be a good game. That's why the game this weekend is more important. Oregon has to play Oregon State, which is tough. Rivalry game, two really good schools, not easy to win. But Oregon's got to play Oregon State, then they got to go play Washington. Both tough Washington's got Washington State, easier game than you get to play. Oregon, a team you beat earlier in the year in a rematch. Georgia, easy game this weekend against Georgia Georgia Tech. Then you have to go play Alabama. So this depends on the conference. I think for, for Florida State, you're going to get to play Florida. It's on the road, but you're playing Florida with a backup quarterback as Graham Mertz got hurt last weekend. So backup quarterback against backup quarterback. You have more talent than Florida. You've been a better team all year. And you prepare for Louisville, who's been who's been game. Louisville should be undefeated. They have one loss, which is to, to Pitt, which is the most surprising loss all season because Pitt is horrible. They can't score points, and yet they beat Louisville. Louisville who beat Notre Dame. And beat the University of Miami and has gone through the ACC and found ways to win games. College football is coming to an end here. We will have bowl games in December. But again, like the Black Friday games in the NHL, you get Friday afternoon a number of games in college football. Let's see here, Friday afternoon, TCU at Oklahoma, University of Miami at Boston College, Iowa at Nebraska, where the over-under is 26 and a half. Wow. That's a record, by the way. Missouri at Arkansas, Texas Tech at Texas, rivalry game. Penn State at Michigan State, and then I mentioned Oregon State at Oregon. 
and you get a full slate on Saturday as well. So it should be a fun. We'll talk about those games as we get later into the week. Tomorrow on the program, we'll preview all the NFL games, uh, Turkey Day, thanks, uh, Thanksgiving games, which are Detroit, Green Bay, the Commies in Dallas, and San Francisco heading to Seattle to play the Seahawks. So we'll talk about all those games tomorrow before uh, kickoff. Let's go to the NHL. The Edmonton Oilers. What a team. What an environment. What a cesspool right now where nothing positive is happening. They're playing really bad hockey. They can't get a save. They're desperate, so they throw Calvin Pickard in between the pipes and he was no good on Monday. It's easy to say you can't get a save. And I think it gets old when you hear that. Oh, you just can't get it. You, get, you blame. It sounds like you're only blaming the goalie, which it is. I don't think the Edmonton Oilers are simply losing because they can't get a save. That's lazy. That's not watching the games. And it's just, it's too simplistic. The Edmonton Oilers are losing games because they are completely lost with how to play in their own zone. From forwards to defense to goaltending, they are completely lost. Matthias Ekholm was at fault for at least two of the, the goals on Monday night against the Florida Panthers. He's got the puck on one on one of the uh, one of the goals for Florida. This was the who scored this one? Might have been Kevin Stenlin. He's getting chased from behind. He throws the puck up the boards. There's no there's no forward there, so he's just getting rid of the puck. He's he's desperate to get rid. Oh, I got to get rid of it. Guys, chase me. He's running on my heels, putting pressure. He throws the puck up the boards. Now, when you throw the puck up the boards and nobody's there and it goes to the other team, that's called a turnover. What happens? He's not in position. Evan Bouchard's out to lunch because that's what Evan Bouchard does. He's like a it's like a lost puppy. He's just searching for love. He's looking for something. And before you know it, it's in the back of the net for the for the Florida Panthers. Another goal. Ackholm has the puck and he sees a guy coming out of the zone. But the forward is not looking back. He doesn't know where the puck's going to be. So it's as if he's skating down the ice, waiting for a pass, but not looking back to know when it's coming. It's like a receiver not looking at the ball, not coming back and looking at, oh, where's the ball coming? I'm just going to expect it to be tape to tape. And Ekholm, but he doesn't put it on the ice. Ekholm throws a puck in the air, ends up hitting a Florida Panther. Puck stays in the zone, and it's another goals against Two goals that were completely Ackholm's fault. He makes the wrong decision every time. And I really like the guy. He changed their team last year. 
When they acquired him, it changed their season. It made them better, and they played phenomenal hockey down the stretch. This season, he's changed their team the complete opposite way and made them even worse defensively than they were before they got him. They put Evan Bouchard with Ekholm. And I don't know if Ekholm just feels so much pressure to do everything because you can't trust Evan Bouchard, which you can't. Because the guy just is a lost, he's completely lost. He's got a big shot and he knows how to play offense. Great. What can you do in your own zone? Can you defend? And the answer is no. We saw the Columbus Blue Jackets healthy scratch, Patrick Line. He made a statement yesterday and he was kind of, says the most embarrassing I've ever been a part of. We talked, I'm over it. I will never do this again. <laughs> okay. Odds he gets healthy scratch again in his career, I'm going to go 100% on that. But sure, that might be the end of it, Patrick, for now. If I'm the Edmonton Oilers, and Chris Knobloch, new head coach, hasn't been going that well for you. You blew a game in Tampa. You had multiple leads in Florida. You had a 2-0 lead in the first period, and you could only hold it for, what, five minutes? I'd healthy scratch Evan Bouchard tonight. Ekholm's been worse, but Bouchard is the nucleus of this failure. You cannot be 6'3", 6'4", however tall he is. I'm going to say 6'4", because he looks bigger than than 6'3". You cannot be 6'4", and play like a pansy-ass 5'8". You can't play defense at that size like you're Nathan Gerby. I'm sorry. And that's how he plays. That's strong of a man. I'm lifting weights. I'm trying to get stronger here. I'm not 6'4". And I think I could throw him around. Nathan Gerby could probably get around him pretty easy. You get in front of the next Evan Bouchard, you might as well be on vacation. Get a Mai Tai. Get a, get a pina colada. Sip something. Because it's going to be easy work. Because he's going to do nothing to impede you from scoring. You don't want to learn defensive responsibilities. You don't want to implement good defensive play. Good. Sit your ass in the press box. Order Putin and watch the game. You don't have to sit him for four or five in a row. Sit him one. Sit him tonight. You have a day off tomorrow. You're right back on the ice on Friday, for Black Friday, in Washington. It's a learning lesson. Implement it. You don't do anything to stop somebody's play, stop somebody's behavior. They're going to continue to do it. I'm not a parent, but that's parenting 101. When I wanted to go out when I was a kid, my parents started off with a curfew, and then they said, if you break this, if you do stuff we don't like, you're not going to be able to go out anymore. Guess what? I listened. And I got to go out plenty because I listened to their rules, and I stuck to that standard. And it was good for them, and it was good for me, looking back. Do whatever the hell you want out there. Don't cover the front of the net. No, I mean, I know we learned this in 
at them, but you know you don't want to cover the front of the net. You kind of just want to stick around to the outside while your other defense is in the corner. You want to go to his side of the ice. Sure, yeah, no, I have no problem. Simple. This is not all in the defense. Forwards need to help. I've said this forever. Forwards need to come back in your own zone and actually give a shit. Give a shit. I thought McDavid had his best game of the season on Monday. He was determined. He fought hard. And he was pissed after the game when Mark Spector asked him a stupid question saying, would you rather win 4-1 or 7-5? That's, that's a stupid question. I wouldn't have liked it either. And Mark Spector and Tim Peel got into a little verbal spat on Twitter, which I enjoyed. For once, I'm on Tim Peel's side. Way to go, Peels. But I have a plan for the Edmonton Oilers to improve their situation. To play better hockey, to get back into games, and to stop looking so pathetic and stupid on the ice, and in particular, in your own zone. And it's something I learned from The Office. A little American sitcom show if you've never heard of it. And my plan is called KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. In the attacking zone, trying to score goals, you have power forwards that can rival any team in the NFL, NHL. Pardon, pardon me. Hyman. Connor Brown, Vander Kane, Dreisaitl. You need to own the boards. You need to go in there because you're physically stronger than the opponents and come out with the puck. Keep it simple, stupid. Exactly. You have stronger players. Come out with the puck. Own the boards, create separation, get scoring chances on net. Connor Brown's playing with McDavid. Go dig the puck out and give it back to him. Give it to Dry Settle, give it to McDavid. You continue to cycle, you wear out your opponents, you will score goals. How about keep it simple, stupid on the other end? How about wingers don't cheat? Number one. And stick to your board because your defense don't know what to do with the puck. So because they don't know what to do with the puck, have somebody on your board, have your stick on the ice, and get ready to break the puck out of the zone. Easy transitions. You have somebody here. Oh, I, have a, I have a pass here. I have a pass in the middle. I have multiple ways that I can get the puck out of my zone without giving it to the other team. This requires forwards to get back in your own zone and commit. You're going to have to skate a little more. You're going to have to give a little more defensively. But that's the price of doing business. Because what you've been doing through the first nearly 20 games of this season has done nothing. Edmonton's proved they can play in games that are 6-4 and 7-5. But even those 6-4, 7-5 games, they're losing. So what's good of scoring five goals a game if your opponents are going to score seven? Because defensively, you are that atrocious. It's, it's worth nothing. 
You need to be more committed as well getting pucks out of the zone because it's it's clear currently. You cannot rely on the Edmonton goaltenders to win you a game. You cannot rely on the goaltenders to make a big save because they just haven't. Do the best possible to eliminate the, the worst part of your team, which is your goaltending. I think Stuart Skinner is a decent goalie. He's lost all confidence. He doesn't look good. But play better in front of him and give him the chance to find it. Give him the opportunity to settle in, make a few saves, get a few wins in a row. You're playing a better style of hockey. And then maybe, maybe he finds it. But for the Edmonton Oilers, this has to happen. Because if it doesn't, you're done. And you've wasted a year with Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid in their primes. The two best players in the world. And I don't think Leon or Connor are going to be sticking around knowing that your team is a sinking ship. That's going nowhere but the bottom of the sea. They're not going to be part of your organization. They're not going to stick around. They will demand out. Hockey players are, oh, the hockey players are better than this. They want to win. And if they think they can't do it in the city of Edmonton, Alberta, they will go do it somewhere else. They will find a better situation. And believe you me, there are better better cities than Edmonton, Alberta. Pretty near every city is better than Edmonton. Place a shithole. So, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Great advice from Michael Scott to Dwight Schrute. I think it's good advice to the Edmonton Oilers from yours truly. Help Dwight out with his relationships, talking to people. Can it help Edmonton win some games? has to be the plan because their plans have not worked. Play a great defensive game and win 2-1 to one tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, Carolina, Carolina. They, they can do it. They can compete. But this erratic style is not going to happen. It's not going to work. It's funny because Darnell Nurse is actually playing way better hockey, but they're losing games so you don't hear about it, which is unfortunate because I like Darnell. But Ekholm and Bouchard have been far worse than him. We'll see if Evans can do that. Got Carolina to, in Carolina tonight. That's a tough game. I'll be watching. Now, defenseman struggling in Edmonton. There's a defenseman in Vancouver who is dominating the league. Quinn Hughes of the Vancouver Canucks, you could argue, is the MVP of the league after two months. By American Thanksgiving, could you say anybody's been better than Quinn Hughes? 
maybe his teammate Elias Pettersson, but that's it. He leads the league in points as a defenseman. One ahead of his teammate JT Miller and David Pasternak. My guy. He has 22 assists, which is second in the National Hockey behind one Kale McCarr. For all the old heads, he leads the NHL in plus-minus. He's second in power play points to Jesper Bratt of the New Jersey Devils. He's doing everything right. He already has eight goals on the season, which is a career high. Which is pretty incredible that he never had more than eight in a season. But he has eighth of the beauty of a goal on Monday night against the Sharks which was his eighth of the season. He looks like a completely different player, more confident, more poised. Talk about his own zone, making way better decisions, quick breakouts out. And the Vancouver Canucks are a confident team, playing extremely well. JT Miller has bought in. Elias Pedersen's been fantastic. But to me, Quinn Hughes has been the engine of that group. Demko's, every, everything's been good. Love talking behind the bench. I love what he brings. But Quinn Hughes is the straw that stirs the drink. You're looking at this game tonight. Vancouver, Colorado. Colorado threw away a game on Monday to Nashville, and Nashville scored two goals in the last minute. To me, you have the two best defensemen currently playing in the league tonight. Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr is... Watching him and Quinn on a nightly basis, it's hard to, argue. It's hard to figure out who's better. Kale McCarr is skating... With the puck, how confident he is with it, making the right decision. He's something else. Then you watch Quinn Hughes go down the ice and snipe top corner against San Jose, and you go, okay, he's pretty damn good too. Just think you're seeing the metamorphosis of the game. Two guys that completely play different than people in the past. They have the confidence to try different things, move the pucks so efficiently, playing on two very productive teams, two teams that I believe both feel that they have the opportunity to make the playoffs and compete for a Stanley Cup. If you, great, if you get a great defenseman, it changes your team. I think even more if you get a great center. Having a number one defenseman is so valuable. It helps your team in such a way. You argue Florida's transformation was Matthew Kachuk getting him for Jonathan Huberto, and certainly it was, but I also think it was Brandon Montour becoming a number one defenseman and playing as well as he did over the course of the last couple of years. And now he's back fully healthy and he already has his first goal of the season than against the Oilers. 
but it changes your team because you trust a guy to be on the ice for 24, 25 minutes a night, and you're not worrying about those minutes. You look at him and go, okay, we're fine. He can do it. Kale McCarr can play that minutes. Quinn Hughes can play those minutes. Carson Soucy's out for Vancouver. It doesn't matter. We have Quinn Hughes who can make up for that for that loss on the back end. Vancouver needs to sustain it. It's early into the season, obviously. And I don't think Quinn Hughes is going to be the Hart Trophy winner at the end of the year. But can he play great all year? Absolutely, because his game is changed. He looks like a different guy. A more confident version of himself. A more intelligent player that understands the game better, which is leading to better decisions and better results for the Vancouver Canucks. Will you get Vancouver... With Pedersen, McKinnon, McCarr, Hughes tonight. That's a star. That's a star matchup. That's the game to watch. Another game on Monday that was fantastic was Nash. Uh, sorry, Dallas and New York. New York had an early lead, two nothing, but Al- Dallas fought back. Dallas is a physical group. They're not loaded with skill. We saw them last year. They got to a conference final. They won that game of money because they got pucks. to the, They're willing to fight the puck to get the front of that, and they find ways to put it in. Joe Pavelski scores a goal. Jamie Benn puts one away with his first goal in nine games. Mason Marchment. Matt Duchesne, who's been very good since coming over from Nashville. They beat the New York Rangers with Scott Wedgwood, their backup goalie, between the pipes. They're giving Ottinger some time off. They want him to be more prepared for the postseason. He seemed to run out of gas at the end of that series with Vegas. So Scott Wedgwood is getting starts. He's one of the better backups in the league. But their team is really threatening. And we get a rematch of the conference final tonight with Dallas hosting the Vegas Golden Knights. Two physical teams, two teams that play good goaltending. Vegas has a better defense score. But I think Dallas wanted to bring a veteran team back, wanted to come back with a team that could go after that Vegas defense, force them to make mistakes, play a physical brand of hockey with them. And Dallas is impressive. They just have that that look at, about them where you go, yeah, it's a good team. They battle. They find a way. But I like the look of the of the Vegas Golden Knights. Sorry, of the of the Dallas Stars, but I also like Vegas. Vegas, who was out east, they don't get to go home right away. They still have to stop to play to play Dallas, one of the best teams in the NHL. You think of that game at Colorado, Vancouver at eleven. You get Dallas and Vegas at ten thirty. 
also tonight mentioned the Edmonton game. Boston in Florida. Boston threw away a point on Monday night to Tampa. Stamkos ties the game with four seconds, and Brandon Hagel scores the overtime winner. Winnipeg in Tampa Bay. The red-hot Winnipeg Jets. Rangers-Penguins. Calgary and Nashville. Calgary's been playing better as of late. They won a game on Monday in overtime. Montreal and Anaheim. San Jose and Seattle. We got a lot of games in the NHL, some good matchups. But should be a good puck night because you got a lot of good teams meeting up with one another. So I'm looking forward to the NHL tonight and how these matchups go down. Before we wrap for today, some Major League Baseball news. The Philadelphia Philadelphia Phillies re-signed their ace pitcher, Aaron Nola, to a seven-year, $172 million extension, which is about $24.5 million per season. Nola was looked at at the Braves. The Braves wanted to bring him in. Spent his first eight years with the Phillies, and he'll spend the next seven with them, which will likely mean he's a Philly for life. World Series two years ago, NLCS this past season. Nola, Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, all signed long-term. They want to keep the nucleus together. I did read the, the Phillies are opening to trading Nick Castellanos. So I think they were happy with their season, but also disappointed that they you're playing the Diamondbacks and you don't get back to the World Series. That was obviously their goal. But the Phillies bring back an ace pitcher. You pair him with Zach Wheeler. I think they like to add another really a decent starting pitcher in the offseason. We'll see if they can do that. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of years. But they want to compete and understand why the Phillies are doing this right here, right now. Because you have Bryce and you have these guys. So you push the chips to the middle once again, hoping to compete with the Braves who have won the division title for a lot of years in a row here. St. Louis Cardinals have made a number of moves. They hire, uh, they signed Lance Lynn to a one-year $10 million contract. So they bring him in, was with the White Sox, then went to the Dodgers, had over a six ERA last season. I think the Cardinals are kind of moving towards a rebuild of sorts. I think they'll be looking at what they want to do this offseason. Adam Wainwright retires. Yadier Molina's gone. Do you want to keep Nolan Arenado? Do you want to keep Paul Goldschmidt on the payroll? Do you want to explore trades with those guys? They also brought in Kyle Gibson, who was with the Baltimore Orioles last year, to a one-year deal at $12 million. So two veteran arms on short-term contracts to, to pitch for them. Kind of a new day in St. Louis. It's a, it's an odd division because you have the 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 Pirates who have been awful for a long time. The Cardinals are in the state of transition. The Cubs just hired Craig Council, making him the highest paid manager in the sport, which obviously changes things. Milwaukee has won the division title the last two years. They still have a good team. 
But again, they haven't gotten over the hump. They just lost to the Diamondbacks in the playoffs in a wild card series. So it's just kind of a, a weird dynamic in, in this division when it comes to Major League Baseball. Who, who's really going for it? Who's, who's the best teams? That's what I'm trying to figure out. And the Cincinnati Reds are competitive. But Joey Votto's le- leaving the team. You have a lot of young talent there that, you know, I love Spencer Steers, a really good player. He's starting to he's starting to come up, but again, somebody's got to win that division. I think Milwaukee as of right now would still be the favorite going into the season, but seeing the Cubs spend that money on Craig Council, I expect them to be aggressive in the offseason to try to acquire talent. So we'll see what happens there. But baseball winter meetings are coming up. Expect to see some signings there. Will Otani be signed at the winter meetings? Will he wait until, say, January? As we get closer to spring training and things like that. He is the the biggest chip on the board. I think players are going to be waiting to see where he goes, what kind of money he gets, and then they'll follow suit. But he's by far the biggest name that needs to be needs to be signed, needs to be negotiated with. Does he go to the Dodgers? I think he stays out west. I, I do think he'll be a Dodger. At the end of this, Dodgers keep Dave Roberts. Keep the nucleus of their team. The only problem with him going to the Dodgers, they need his pitching arm a lot more than they need his bat, and he can't pitch in 2024, which is a problem. But the Dodgers are not afraid of spending money to be competitive. That's pretty much it today. Other than that, uh, MMA news, the PFL, which is really the second organization in MMA, they bought Bellator, which was the number three organization. So PFL swallows up Bellator. They're gonna keep the they're gonna keep them separate, which I don't really understand. They're gonna do a PFL versus Bellator series in 2024. I'm all about that. I like that idea. But it basically it allows the PFL to get more talent. Bellator was a, a bad investment. It was losing money. So they get they get free of it. They get some money uh, to, to exit. PFL World Championships are this weekend in D.C., I believe. So, might, no, it might be in New York. It might be in New York or D.C. But big news for them. They, they have Nganu on the payroll. They have Jake Paul on the payroll. So they're doing things to try to Boost their profile. This is another. They they get a, whole, a lot of very good fighters. They'll never compete with the UFC. That's never going to happen. But it does make them more relevant. They are an ESPN. They have an ESPN pay per view event this weekend, which I'm going to watch. They do have good talent. They have good commentators. So the PFL is a good organization. We'll see what happens there. 
tomorrow on the program, we will I will preview the upcoming games on Thanksgiving. The three games. We'll talk about Ole Miss, Mississippi State. We'll recap the NHL this evening and any other news in the world of sports. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for the support as always. Talk to you tomorrow. Just to the point.